0: This is Truth Matters, episode, Freedom Convoy, Trudeau, and the World Economic Forum with Mackenzie Drebbit and Matthew Shanshay.
1: It is a mindset that is created to destroy Protestantism.
0: These are the top movers in the world.
1: And that is the agenda of the World Economic Forum.
0: But now he's saying. They all went to the same school.
1: This is the Who's Who of Planet Earth. Welcome to another episode of Truth Matters. This is a TM bite. I'm back with Mackenzie Drebbit. I'm Matthew Sean Shea. Mackenzie, it's been a little while, but we have a lot to cover. Canada is kind of like right in the middle of things right now. Trudeau, uh, Freedom Convoy, what does it all mean? How does it all link together? Uh, Welcome back. Thanks for uh, jumping back on. It's good to do this again with you.
0: Yeah, we've been uh, on a little bit of a break. We've been doing some filming, but we have a lot to talk about today. That, That would be an understatement with all the things that are happening in the world right now, for sure.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's making a lot of headlines because we're we're in still in the midst of a health crisis. It's now gone on long enough that people have had to come in a lot of their personal lives to make decisions between, you know, kind of their conscience and their livelihoods. And, uh, in, you know, when we look at how the papacy, who we often report on in kind of prophetic terms and how they're influencing uh, policy and moving things, uh, in certain directions with different world leaders, we often find that they are painting Jesus in a light that, um, he's this eco warrior, a protester, somebody who's up for social justice and, and uplifting the poor and, you know, attributes that they highlight often make it seem that way. But, uh, what we want to look at is how Jesus separated these things, how he often secluded himself in the country, but would come in and preach and teach in the synagogues and the cities. And, uh, you know, we find that Jesus often wanted to point people away from civil and social issues and more back towards the spiritual component and so when we're talking today about Trudeau and about the Freedom Convoy, we actually want to make sure that we talk about it in what we believe to be the correct context. And I believe that focuses back on to the great controversy, which you guys, uh, some of you in AD, went out and decided to go into the cities to talk to people about the, the great controversy. Uh Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you guys to think about going and do that a little bit of story about what happened there?
0: Well, I mean, obviously it's been in the news everywhere, (laughs) you know, all around the world, people are seeing that Canada is having a little bit of a mini, uh, you know, issue (laughs) where we have these, what started with the truckers started a convoy going to Ottawa, the capital of Canada. Um, And then uh, right now with Trudeau, who's the prime minister, bringing all these mandates, they went there to go talk against the mandates because a lot of these people lost their jobs. There is a lot of things happening there. And we thought it's a really good opportunity to go down, see what's really happening because the news always has their angle and also to see because a lot of these people actually when we got down there were extremely open to wanting to know what the real truth behind what's all happening right now is and that's what our focus is right truth matters we want to bring what's behind the whole agenda here is there something what are all these things talking about leading towards and so we went down there we're handing out uh, DVDs, we're handing out flyers, we're handing out books to a lot of these people who are in the convoy. And what we found was, it was, well, it's definitely a very Canadian protest. (laughs) One of the most peaceful protests that you can have. Everybody was smiling, everybody was happy, everybody was wanting to talk, and it was super easy to, to go around and just be with the people. We went to um, Victoria, BC. That's the capital of British Columbia. And uh, they were all around the Parliament building there. And so we were talking to the people, we were handing things out, and they were just grabbing it like crazy. They're wanting to know all what's happening behind the scenes. And today we're going to dissect a little bit what some of those things are that are happening behind the scenes and why this is um, quite telling of. Some of the things that we talked about in some of the previous podcasts, like the Great Reset, all these things, but how some of the actions that are being taken right now are leading in that direction.
1: And I think a good way to start off is maybe to get uh, Trudeau's view of how the trucker protest uh, is going, how it reflects on Canada uh, maybe his view on the people inside of these protests. You just described uh, something that, you know, may not match up with what Trudeau has said. And so we, we got to start, I think, by understanding the view that um, is being um, delivered to the people by Trudeau's government and through the media. So let's take a look here.
2: The battle against COVID 19 is still dominating so many parts of our lives. This virus affects us all. I want to take this opportunity to remind Canadians to please get vaccinated. It's a challenge that my family and I are facing, but there's nothing unusual or special about it. Over the past few days, Canadians were shocked, and frankly, disgusted, by the behavior displayed by some people protesting in our nation's capital. I want to be very clear. We are not intimidated by those who hurl insults and abuse at small business workers and steal food from the homeless. We won't give in to those who fly racist flags. We won't cave to those who engage in vandalism or dishonor the memory of our veterans. There is no place in our country for threats, violence, or hatred so to those responsible for this behavior it needs to stop do not stand for or with intolerance and hate this is not the story of our pandemic you are the story of this pandemic
1: so mckenzie We see Justin Trudeau here. This is two weeks ago now. This is not as of recent as the uh, emergency act that was issued. We'll get to that here in a a little bit. This is two weeks ago. And we see Trudeau here uh, really laying the colorful language on thick. And it's putting two groups of people. You see patriotic, country loving, duty fulfilling citizens on the one side as characterized by those who have made one health choice and another side that is uh, essentially what I'm imagining is happening because I'm not on the ground. I can't say for sure, but it, it is the case in almost every time you get protests together is a very small and when I mean small, a very small faction of people amongst a very large group can cause havoc, can cause disruption, can cause any sorts of uh, disruption to make the broader group look, look bad. But if you have 10,000 people gathering and 10 of them get together to deface a uh, uh, a monument, yeah. um, where, where does that leave the other 9,990 9, people that are there peacefully and um, showing their uh, displeasure with how things have been handled thus far? And in here, Trudeau is essentially saying that those people are all bad, that everything is essentially their fault, and that, uh, you know, we need to get back. The pandemic is not about the freedom convoy, which is what he said. Well, he certainly got one part of that right. It doesn't seem to be about freedom uh, because he doesn't seem to be interested in hearing what these people have, have to say. But that's ultimately not what we're talking about here. What we seem to be talking about is the liberty of conscience aspect of this whole thing.
0: Well, that's the main thing, right? We we have, you know, he's making a big distinction and divide and controversy between those who make one choice and those who make another. That's exactly the issue. Dividing, making sure there's a separation, saying, we're here for these people, but... These people don't represent anyone in this country. And, you know, he said this is a small fringe minority, but there's a couple million people in Ottawa right now. <laughs> and uh, there's, there's a lot of people everywhere saying, hey, I'm losing my job, all these things. The main, the main thing is we should not be forcing one way or the other, right? We need to be talking about what the real issues is here. The real issues of freedom and where the restriction of these freedoms is leading right
1: and you'll you'll see that history's already painted a pretty clear picture of how this works out there's a reason why the basis of most rights charters constitutions focus on the individual rather than the collective in fact uh in the book great controversy It writes a lot about the Protestant Reformation and what Luther and some of these reformers, Huss and Jerome, were up against. And it becomes very clear when you study the history at the time that the thing that they were up against was a liberty of conscience, freedom of thought issue. And they were delivered up to councils and uh, meant to speak in front of audiences to uh, state their cases. And one quote here is given from one such matter from Lutherans, where they wrote this in a response to a decree given by the Roman Church, where it says, uh, In matters of conscience, the majority has no power. This is an important first statement. Let me just step yeah. outside of the quote here for a second. In the matters of conscience, the majority has no power. Yeah. Well, in essence, the um, message that Justin Trudeau just gave to us was that the majority is the power and every other one, every yeah. faction that's left is really the the evil part. And that just needs to fall in line. Because he said those who have, the truckers who have made the choice to do the right thing. That's a, that's a morality statement based on your freedom of choice. And here we see that they're, they're battling the same problems uh, and I'm not saying anything for or against who's made choices in this, this health, uh, uh, pandemic, but, um, people being compelled one way or the other by force is, is the issue we're dealing with here. So I'll continue. It says to protect liberty of conscience is the duty of the state. And this is the limit of its authority in matters of religion. Every secular government that attempts to regulate or enforce religious observances by civil authority is sacrificing the very principle for which the evangelical Christian so nobly struggled. Yeah. Okay, well, we're seeing the very basis, the reason why the United States has a constitution and separated from England and had a revolutionary war was in part over these same issues, freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, uh, and we'll come to see taxation played a role in that as well, and that's going to play a role in some that we talk yep. uh, about here in in just a minute. What is what do you see when you hear some of these quotes, McKenzie?
0: No, it's extremely important because when you understand the big picture that they're really working towards, if you just have sort of a uh, sort of a shallow understanding you think maybe it's about money, it's about control, it's about this, and all those things are factors, but the total end goal here is actually about worship, because when we're talking about these leaders, and we're going to go into this really shortly here, um, You see that they're all connected we talked about this in some of the other podcasts that they are all actually religious people serving a certain God you could say and it's not just oh we want control over this and that or you know we want to make big bucks the end goal is about worship and that's what the Bible even talks about in Revelation it said that there is a beast and it wants the whole world to wander after it and to worship it. And that is where we're heading. And all these people are connected. Some of these things that we're seeing right now, with these mandates, with the response to this convoy, that basically the people don't have a say anymore. It is really just the plan, which we talked about also that Justin Trudeau said that this pandemic is a great opportunity to implement the Great Reset, which we know is not a Canadian uh, plan, <laughs> this is a United Nations plan that is going to be implemented. So I think that's really important to see. Well, to that end, I think
1: it's time that we kind of put the the our money where our mouths are and start showing people how this stuff is connected, because yeah. uh, as we look at what's unfolding. I almost feel like the protesters, the the freedom convoy got baited into the situation a little bit. They were put in a really tough spot, choosing between their conscience and their livelihoods. And they did an exercise, the only means they had to express their displeasure with the situation. But on the flip side, uh, they knew, the powers that be knew that this would be the case and have anxiously been interested in enacting more drastic measures. Uh, as we've seen around the world for the time being, things seem to be, let's just say, calming down on the front of uh, the health situation. Yeah. And they want to take this next step in invoking more uh, emergency powers, more um, limiting of freedoms and liberties. and. Unfortunately, the protest gave them that exact opportunity. And we see they didn't waste a second in making the most of it. Yeah. Now, I want to come to a a person that many may not know, especially much before this whole thing started.
0: And we want you to really pay attention here because this is where it really starts to get interesting.
1: So a couple days ago, we were uh, hit with a press conference by Trudeau and one of his Deputy Prime Ministers and the Minister of Finance for all of Canada, a person by the name of Christia Freeland. And Christia Freeland gave uh, the second half of this press conference where they enacted for the first time in history, the Emergencies Act, which in essence is allowing banks to freeze bank accounts. It's allowing civil rights. It's essentially like a form of martial law, for lack of a better term. Everything is suspended. They can essentially do whatever they deem is necessary for the situation.
3: Invoking the Emergencies Act, we are announcing the following immediate actions. First, we are broadening the scope of Canada's anti money laundering and terrorist financing rules so that they cover crowdfunding platforms and the payment service providers they use. These changes cover all forms of transactions, including digital assets, such as cryptocurrencies. As of today, all crowdfunding platforms and the payment service providers they use must register with FinTrack, and they must report large and suspicious transactions to FinTrack to support investigations by law enforcement into these illegal blockades. We are making these changes because we know that these platforms are being used to support illegal blockades and illegal activity which is damaging the Canadian economy. Second, the government is issuing an order with immediate effect under the Emergencies Act authorizing Canadian financial institutions to temporarily cease providing financial services where the institution suspects that an account is being used to further the illegal blockades and occupations. This order covers both personal and corporate accounts. Third, we are directing Canadian financial institutions to review their relationships with anyone involved in the illegal blockades and report to the RCMP or CSIS. As of today, a bank or other financial service provider will be able to immediately freeze or suspend an account without a court order. They will be protected against civil liability for actions taken in good faith. Federal government institutions will have a new broad authority to share relevant information with banks and other financial service providers to ensure that we can all work together to put a stop to the funding of these illegal blockades. We are today serving notice. If your truck is being used in these illegal blockades, your corporate accounts will be frozen. The insurance on your vehicle will be suspended. The Canadian economy needs them to be doing legitimate work.
1: Now, uh, when she was giving this um, press conference, it made me realize that Klaus Schwab has actually spoken about the cabinet of the Canadian government. That is Justin Trudeau and his support members in his cabinet. And uh, I think we should play for uh, everyone this clip from Klaus Schwab regarding the role of an organization called the Young Global Leaders Program. And we're going to see what he has to say about this program, some of his members, and this group's role in placing some of these government officials.
0: Okay. So here's the clip. When
4: I mention our names like Mrs. Merkel, um, even uh, Vladimir Putin, and so on, say all have been young global leaders of the world economic forum.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I just gotta stop it quickly for a second there because you gotta realize what this guy's actually saying. So he's talking about this young global leader, leaders group. It's a uh, It's a university or it's a course that is actually a five-year process. So it's not just like a little thing that, you know, you just sign your names, good to go. And you're part of this thing. No, this is a rigorous. It's like a five-year program. Yeah, it's a rigorous program that you're going through. So he just said that Merkel and Vladimir Putin is part of this. And we always see these people as opposing forces. But now he's saying they all went to the same school.
4: They all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. But um, what we are very proud of now is the young generation, like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. There's Trudeau. um, President of of, uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau and I know that half of this cabinet or even more half of, uh, half of this cabinet are for
0: our actually young global leaders of the world. Right. There we go. So he just said that over half of the people in his cabinet are from from the World Economic Forum, the Young Global Leaders Group,
1: and he uses some interesting language in there. He says we've penetrated the cabinets. Mm-hmm. He's really focused on using this uh, global young leaders program, uh, young global leaders program, to act as this uh, filtration process, if you will. And this, I had seen this. A clip before, and it played in the back of my head because uh, he said clearly that more than half of the cabinet had attended with this uh, Young Global Leaders program. And I'm listening to uh, Christia Freeland do this speech that is essentially saying that the, the convoys people are essentially terrorists that if banks see this activity they're treating them as if there were a terrorist activity they give banks the same type of freedom in that situation if you notice suspicious activity you're allowed to monitor the accounts even more closely and without a warrant freeze or suspend even on the suspicion of these things those are things you would do in known suspected terrorist organization type Situations. Yeah. So they're using a very hard line methodology in all of this. And it got me thinking, uh, you know, we've connected a lot of dots before back to the UN. We've looked at Klaus Schwab's hand in understanding what the great reset would look like. But in order to pull something like that off, you would need just a massive network of people in high power position places. Well, now this is the point of the uh, podcast that I would like people to open their browsers with us, if possible, and uh, go into the description and grab the link for the Young Global Leaders uh, website, because we're not asking you to go to some weird uh, offshoot website, some conspiracy website. We're simply just asking you to go to the World Economic Forum Young Global Leaders Program's own website. And when you do, you get the chance to uh, see the community uh, section. And in this community section, you'll notice a whole host of people that are part of this organization. And you can spend, gosh, hours looking through what has essentially become the who's who organization of getting into the hierarchy of the global elite. You can find people like from the firms BlackRock, which is one of the largest asset management firms in the world, all the way to politicians such as finance ministers and health ministers. In fact, a little bit later, we can go down the list of how many are actually in here. And they're broken up by sector. Think tanks, arts and culture, business, civil society, media, public figures, social entrepreneurs. This covers a wide range of social and civil influencers, to say the least. So, why did I bring up Christia Freeland? Well, it just popped in my mind that we should just go check out if Christia was part of this organization as well. And lo and behold, just by simply typing in her name, we see Christia Freeman, Prime Minister, Deputy Prime Minister of Canada, Minister of Finance. So, the finance minister, no conspiracy needed, is part of Klaus Schwab, author of The Great Resets, own. Global Leaders School that has included the likes of Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Larry Page. These are all just uh, people in the tech sector. But when you see the full scope of where this organization goes, well, it reaches uh, quite, a, quite a ways. And I'd like to just point out one other thing quickly for those who are interested in uh, digging through and having maybe a little treasure uh just dropped on you. So I want you guys to be able to find something I found fr- pretty fascinating in here. If you go to the sector portion and go to civil society and go to the region and go to North America, what you'll find is that most of the people in here are from philanthropies, uh, charity organizations, um, uh, private industry, uh, finance, oftentimes your your corporate and social who's who is found on this list. You don't find too many religious figures. Now, Mackenzie, you and I have talked about the Jesuits somewhat on here, uh, not totally at the length of which we have uh, internally discussed them, but we can always find, and usually not by trying very hard, the uh, Jesuits somewhere intertwined into all of these Things yeah now uh, I found it particularly interesting that when you go through this list of people, you actually come across the only guy in the whole thing wearing sunglasses, <laughs> and when you get to him, you'll notice he's a priest from the Society of Jesus. The Jesuits are part of Klaus Schwab's initiation uh, program. They are involved not only in putting students into, like other organizations, but uh, have had their role in shaping what this organization is really focused on, what they are uh, trying to accomplish. And I just found it fascinating that without trying too hard, we see uh, the Jesuits um, also play a role in the Young Global Leaders School. And people will say, well, he's just one person of hundreds, but uh, we could go further into that.
0: And I want to just uh, point something out. I don't think we've mentioned before on here, but this is something that people can do themselves. So the Society of Jesus or the Jesuits, it's very easy to see when you become a Jesuit, just go look it up. What is the oath that you take as a Jesuit? It's very interesting, you sh- everybody should go take a look at that and then they'll start to see why they are such an important society and group when it comes to all this new world order. Now, as well, what we we're just mentioning, we have, and I'm going to share my screen here, just to emphasize some of the lists that we're talking about of the people in the World Economic Forum. And this young global leaders group, where it was started, but then we see some of the people connected here, and there's some very interesting names.
1: I, I just I'm I'm a, was from California before I moved to Canada. Uh, Gavin Newsom also uh, is a is a big name right now. California is the sixth largest economy in the world, and uh, he has close ties with the Jesuits as well. Uh, and Pete Buttigieg is uh, uh, was a presidential candidate he also is a roman catholic and has a lot of ties back into um the the same type of thinking which i think we're going to dig into a little bit here soon is like what is the thinking of the world economic forum yeah. i mean people may look at this stuff and say well yeah okay why is it so bad that these people would be part of Organizations like this. Maybe it's something that's to their benefit. But what we'll see is the doctrine inside of these organizations, it's meant to train the mind to think uh, evil is good and good is evil. And we'll display what that means here in, in a little bit. But I want to show on this last list, a part of the list here, Alicia Garza, who is the Black Lives Matter co-founder. So we see a range of political leaders to the head of transportation uh, in Pete Buttigieg, and then uh, even the Black Lives Matters co-founder.
0: So then we have another list under media. This is broken down by different sections, and it's very interesting who's in these sections.
1: You see, the one that stands out to me on this list is Sanjay Gupta. Now, um, you know, I I love my parents to death, but my dad cites Sanjay Gupta as if he were the... uh, single most authoritative source in medicine to ever walk the face of the earth. He is the CNN chief medical correspondent and a neurosurgeon, but we also see that he is part of this organization. So now we have one of the uh, most respected voices in medicine, for the older generation at least, uh, is part of this organization. It's crossing a lot of uh, spectrum here, don't you think?
0: Yeah. No, we have from from one side to the other basically that have been part of this group of people
1: and it continues i mean go down uh, we see technology and social media check out some of the names we have in
0: there and this becomes very interesting we have bill gates 1993 we have jeff bezos now that's very interesting then we have i'll skip some of the other names but mark zuckerberg so we have some of the major and basically covering all platforms here. We have Bill Gates with Microsoft. Larry
1: Page, Eric Schmidt, that's Google right there. I mean, you have Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and Facebook on this list, including Peter Thiel, who owns a uh, company now called Palantir, which is essentially a user data analytics company that tracks everything you do on your phone, whether you realize it's being tracked or not. It's essentially the basis. So... This World Economic Forum alumni list this reads like the who's who these uh,
0: are the top players movers in, in the, the world, world today. Yeah.
1: I'll even say as we go further down you'll notice classic names like Rothschild in here, fr- former uh British prime ministers Tony Blair and Gordon Brown are in there, the yep. current New Zealand prime minister Jacinda Ardern is in there who mirrored uh China in her zero covid uh, lockdown strategy for a while, and was are uh, here we see now both Justin Trudeau and christia Freeland yep. so you know there are people who are going to say well you 're making a lot to do about nothing well let 's say this, even if this was just a club of people who got around to hang out once in a while, this
0: is the who 's who
1: of planet mm-hmm. earth uh, in in large part trained all through the same organization
0: yeah i just wanted to point out at the bottom it says that uh justin trudeau participant has not been confirmed but we just seen in the video that we showed with Klaus schwab that he is part of that uh young global leaders group and one of the most proud to say that justin is part of that
1: yeah and uh i think it's important to show how these people react when confronted with this information. Sometimes, mm-hmm. um, the quick narrative right now is for anything that goes against what people are uh, being told is considered misinformation, disinformation, counterinformation—however yeah. you'd like to call it. But something interesting happens when there those who are calling these things conspiracy theory and misinformation are confronted with uh, evidence to the contrary with the person's own uh, writings. So I want to show what is, I believe, the Dutch parliament, where one of the Dutch chancellors is questioning the Dutch prime minister over his views of Klaus Schwab's book, COVID-19, The Great Reset. And uh, I'd like to sh- to the audience to understand kind of the dynamic here and uh, see how the tone of... The prime minister changes as he's presented with the evidence uh, from one of these chancellors. Let's take a listen.
5: This is the heer Klaus Schwab, oprichter en voorzitter van het World Economic Forum, en hij heeft ook een boek geschreven met als pakkende titel COVID-19: The Great Reset. my vraag aan de demissionaire minister-president is: hoe beoordeelt hij de
6: inhoud van dit boek?
5: De minister-president.
6: Ja, ik ken het boek niet, voorzitter. Maar ik zou de heer Van Meijren willen adviseren om niet al te veel in al die conspiratie-theorieën... Hoor. Ik, ik kijk ze ook allemaal op YouTube. Ik vind het is altijd fascinerend hoe dan uitgelegd wordt dat nou, die lef het niet heeft plaatsgevonden... ...of dat het allemaal anders zit. Ontzettend knap in elkaar gezet. Maar het is meestal wat het is, een conspiratie
5: De heer Van Meeren, Nou, het verbaast mij dat de eerste vraag die ik aan de heer Rutte stel... ...sinds ik beëdigd ben als Kamerlid direct wordt beantwoord. Het Dank u wel. Maar het verbaast mij dat die eerste vraag direct wordt beantwoord met een leugen... Ik heb namelijk een brief in mijn hand die dateert van 26 november 2020. En dat is een brief van de heer Rutte aan de heer Klaus Schwab... ...waarin hij de heer Schwab bedankt voor het toezenden van zijn boek. En dit noemt een hoopvolle analyse voor een betere toekomst. Zou de heer Rutte nog even kunnen graven in zijn geheugen? Het is nog geen half jaar geleden, dus ik weet niet hoe lang uw herinneringen actief blijven... ...maar waarschijnlijk is dit nog wel ergens op te graven... En mijn eerste vraag opnieuw te beantwoorden en nu eerlijk, alsjeblieft.
6: Nou, het eerlijke antwoord is dat dat een een nette brief is. Waarin je eh, helaas niet alle boeken die je toegestuurd krijgt van kaft tot kaft kunt lezen. Maar wel degene die je toestuurt een vriendelijke brief wil terugsturen.
5: Nou, dan zegt de heer Rutte dus eigenlijk dat hij niet heeft gelogen tegen mij, maar tegen de heer Klaus Schwab. Maar laat ik ik dan hier direct alsnog de vraag stellen. De heer Klaus Schwab, die pleit in zijn boek voor... Het resetten van onze wereld om onze nationale parlementaire democratie te vervangen door een globale technocratie. Hij pleit ervoor dat er een einde komt aan privébezit. En de heer Rutte is er gekennelijk niet eens van bewust dat hij dit een hoopvolle boodschap voor een betere toekomst heeft genoemd. Hoe is het mogelijk dat de heer Rutte een waardeoordeel hecht? And a book with a neocommunist boodschap, terwijl he that book not eens gelezen
1: heeft. Minister. So I just found that fascinating when I first watched it. You see, the Prime Minister, who's the one being questioned, starts off after he hears the question about his thoughts and feelings on the book COVID-19 Great Reset and Klaus Schwab. Yeah. The very first answer he says, let's not spend time on conspiracies, yeah. and then brings up something about 9-11. And says, I know nothing about the book and don't have any feelings on it.
0: And then he's confronted and brings up the letter that says, no, you were saying very good things about this.
1: Yeah, you clearly knew about it and you clearly wrote a letter to him. And you see, this is how society's working right now when being presented with information that is true, even though it goes against... The, the counterculture. We clearly know now that there is a very sophisticated structure that goes about selecting world leaders. They then yeah. put these people as potential candidates through this five-year program to teach them specific methodologies and, and give them a specific mindset about the world and the outlook of it. Then uh, you see people who speak out about these things are marginalized as conspiracy theorists but then when they're presented with direct evidence things like I have great respect for Klaus Schwab and Professor Schwab has done so much to bring people together and I've read many of his books even though I may not see eye to eye on the Great Reset and it's this whole floodgate of information all of a sudden when just a minute ago it was Conspiracy Theory, Tinfoil Hats and 9-11 and I find it very interesting that that is the the same spirit at which a lot of the information we talk about is received. It's why we try to spend time uh, putting sources material on the page for
0: people. Yeah, no, for sure. And so we've now seen Klaus Schwab uh, referenced quite a few times and all the people who went through his program and joined the Young Global Leaders group there um, and his World Economic Forum, which a lot of people have spoke at that and are part of the World Economic Forum. Trudeau has been there. Even Trump has been there. There's a huge list of people all very high movers in the world that have been part of this and I wanted to a little bit now talk about what some of Klaus Schwab's ideologies are because he's had some very very interesting interviews um, that we can look at and he says some of what his ideologies are. So the first clip that we're going to play here he's talking about now this is interesting because We've talked about that there's um, these secret societies, these elite groups that are over and above uh, the rest of everybody. And he confirms this, that there is an elite group and that they're in a different category.
4: From Asia, and then you have selectionary products. So this middle class issue... um, and its societal consequences, mm-hmm. its consequences on, even on democracy, I think will be a major
6: issue with us for the coming years. Do you think the elites are willing to, to do what's necessary to really close the gaps on inequality?
0: So the question you just asked was, do you think the elite are willing to do what is necessary? So the person you've been asking the question knows there is an elite.
6: You, you deal with elites all over the world. I I, I would
4: say, uh, t- to a certain extent, if you look at the rise of philanthropy, of the notion of philanthropy, I mean, that's elites giving back to society. Mm-hmm. And I have a good example here in the room. Um,
0: uh, elites. And it starts out sounding good, right? We have all this philanthropy and giving money and everything. But when we looked before at some of these things, the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation, and then we looked at Luce's Trust and all these things connected there. These are very philanthropic, but their end goal is a lot different than I think most people would understand. I And
4: I have a good example here in the room. Um, uh, elites giving back to society, that's one way. But uh, you know that many countries now... Um, are looking again at um, using the tax systems um, mm-hmm. to 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 create um, um, a better um, or to reduce this increased uh, gap mm-hmm. um, between high uh, earners and
0: low income earners mm-hmm. so what do you think about that right there what he was saying
1: Well, I find it interesting because he breaks it down to solving all these great think tanks, solving all these world problems. And here's a guy running what we've now looked at as a, a web of world leaders preaching a very specific ideology and, and worldview, which we're gonna yep. maybe look at closer here in a minute. And the outcome is they want more taxation.
0: Yeah. The solution <laughs> is let's tax
1: everybody more. Yeah. And uh what I find interesting about that is that's exactly what the climate change movement is saying too. They say that the way we're going to fix everything is through carbon taxes and through financial disclosure statements, which will make things like investing in what they deem high climate risk assets, extremely expensive, extremely difficult, and essentially putting a tax on to these climate risk based assets. So everybody get ready because the solution to all the world's problems is super taxation, and it's like a compression. They're going to try to balance the lows and the highs out. But as we see, that that often doesn't work very well. What, what did you pick out of this?
0: Yeah, and another thing, like I was mentioning there, it's referencing the elite. But then he changed a word and he said to reduce the gap between the high earners and the low earners. Now, he separated those groups of people from the elite. So there's a big difference between people who are just, you know, have a lot of money, they worked for their money, and the elite. That's a totally different class of people. They want to scrunch those high earners down. Because high earners have a lot more freedom than the low earners. The low earners have to go paycheck to paycheck. You know, they're very, influenced by changes by mandates by laws all these things the high earners not so much they have a lot more they have property they have all these things so they want to crunch that down and make sure that that's at a manageable level now he also talked about different identities now this is where it gets very interesting because he says that we need to make sure that we understand our different identities
4: Based on the crisis, what we see, um, see, we develop a kind of bunker mentality, which, means, uh, which has two consequences. First, we don't want, so many people don't want to hear anymore what's really going on in the world. You just look at your own interests. And second, you become more egoistic. And actually, if you, you look... become more what? Egoistic. Um, mm-hmm. Selfish. Yeah. And actually, if if you look at our world of t- today, the big challenge we have is uh, to develop different levels of identities. So That's my my concept. You need you need a, a local identity because you need your roots. You certainly have a national identity. In Europe, we even have a European identity. And finally, you need today, because we are in an interconnected global world, we need, in principle, a global identity. But instead of trying to accommodate those four different levels of identity, Mm -hmm. or three different levels of identity, people are now uh, again seduced um, to play out one identity against another one.
0: That is very interesting. it can sound good on the surface, but when you read these guys' books, when you read what their real true ideology is, what he's saying is you need to really forget your... And if you keep listening to the interview, this one and another one he did uh, with the same person, uh, David Gergen, who's also very interesting, which we'll uh, mention a little bit. you need to leave your local identity and you need to be graduating up and growing up into your global identity. And then basically yourself doesn't matter anymore, which that's why then things like this Vancouver Declaration, which is a localized version of this um, 2030 agenda, where they don't want the individual owning property, they want all that removed. And it needs to be about the global good and not about the personal individuality of people, but as a global unit.
1: And I think that's one of the most important things that we can look at when we're considering the context of the Freedom Convoy and Trudeau and Emergency Acts and all of these pieces that seem to be uh, coming through members of this alumni group of this organization is that, is this really Klaus Schwab's own ideology, or did it come from somewhere? Is, is he implementing, which is very clearly a worldview that they're trying to get these world leaders to become familiar with, educated on and to implement without ever considering that, you know, that when they go through these plans and they're revealing these things, they say them so confidently as if they have considered ever considered that they may not be good plans. That yeah. they may not actually work. They're said with such certainty that there's no room for error. It's almost as if this is it, this is the only outcome that can, that can occur. And obviously, uh, if that worldview clashes with the worldview of another individual, well, then that person is automatically incorrect or marginalized because this, obviously all the world leaders are sharing in this, in this style of vision, in this mindset. And I think it's important to say that because we're not actually talking about Klaus Schwab or or David Gergen here or uh Trudeau or any of the members of this group. We're talking as the Bible talks about principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. And so when we're when we're talking about how these things work, we actually are only telling the individuals or excuse me, we're only using the individuals' names because they represent the mindsets and they are the current drivers of those mindsets out into the world. Now, uh, it could get lost on some people here that Klaus Schwab is being interviewed by David Gergen. And in this, they're talking about elites, high earners, low income. Now, people may forget that David Gergen was a presidential advisor to four different presidents. He was a main political contributor on CNN. And he himself has in an interview with, I know he comes with his own baggage, Alex Jones, a long time ago, talking about his relationship with Bohemian Grove. Now, that's another one that would get people who hate talking about conspiracy theories rolling their eyes. But again, let's take a listen to what David Gergen himself says about Bohemian Grove, which could be, compared to on the World Economic Forum, similar super elite society of people that share certain views let's hear what Gergen says back i believe in the early 2000s about this relationship at uh the bohemian grove society
6: one last question i read a washington times article many years ago where you had a comment about the organization and then now it's been in the wall street journal it's been a lot of different newspapers and that's the bohemian grove and back in what was it 19 uh 96 when you joined uh, as a clinton advisor they were the republicans were criticizing you oh what about bohemian grove and then you counter uh, and then you countered them by saying hey i don't run around in the woods naked what did that mean here is the before mentioned washington times article where he said i didn't run around naked like they do I, I don't i don't know what i don't know what quote you're referring to i'm not aware of any quote like that uh listen uh i, I am uh uh, a happy member of the Bohemian Grove, I like the, uh, the folks who come there and uh, it's really inappropriate for me to uh, talk about a uh, uh, the group beyond that. thank you. Have you been there for the ceremony with uh, the cremation of care? Uh, frankly, that's, uh, that uh, I don't think that's something I need to talk to you about.
1: The
2: <coughs>
6: Have you been there for the ceremony with uh, the cremation of care? Uh, frankly, that's uh, that. Uh, I don't think that's something I need to talk to you about. Really? That's right. Well, I'm Alex Jones, and I snuck in there in 2000. I'm the guy that blew it wide open and got the video. It's been on national TV. Well, I disrespect you for that. You do? I do. But it's a lot of big public officials going in there. You don't took, we deserve to know? You took an... I don't know anything about you, and I don't know anything about your film, but if you go in there with an understanding, you violated that understanding by releasing that film, and I don't respect you for that. Really? You pu- you, I'm sorry, you policy. took an understanding when you went in there that you would not do that film. And you did, did you have an understanding when you went in there? No. Did you crash it? Yes. Yeah, and it has no trespassing signs there too, doesn't it? No, they put them yes, up after. Sir. Oh, I'm I sorry. I just walked I'm in. I'm sorry, sir. I've been there before. I know what I what the circumstances are. And I'm sorry you uh, violated the understandings. That was, not, that was not a gentlemanly thing to do. But what about the ritual? Is the ritual gentlemanly? Sir, everything they, you, I, I, I don't owe you this comment. I know, I appreciate it. You this is what's called ambush journalism, and I disrespect you for that as well. So thank have you, you ever and goodbye. Been the ritual? That's none of your business. Oh, all right. Listen, oh. listen. You go around and and make understandings with people and violate them. You you ambush people on the streets when that's that's inappropriate form of journalism. If you wish to practice that, that's fine. But don't ask others to respect you for it. If you want to, you you can do. You're free, American, like anything you want. If you want to be uncivil and rude and ungentlemanly, that's up to you. But don't expect the rest well, of us to say, "Oh well, you're in there, Mr. Gergen." I'm sorry, nobody sets policy in there. We try to be gentlemen, and obviously, you don't belong there. Weaving spiders
1: coming out here. <laughs> I feel like we just watched something similar to what happened to the Dutch prime minister. He's initially presented with something. He can kind of tell. Well, he's going to kind of dance around it. But the more he was pressed on it you saw how much he knows about Bohemian Grove, how secret it actually is. He doesn't want to talk about it. When he brings up the cremation of care, that's a specifically a worship uh, ceremony done within Bohemian Grove. And David talks about, David Gergen talks about how he's not only spent time there, but he knows the understanding that one goes there with. Now, what we're trying to do is show you the connection of what's happening between Klaus Schwab and the man interviewing him, both sitting up there speaking on these uh, very important matters on shaping world events and using people to shape these world events, and both of them part of a very exclusive Uber Elite uh, clubs that dictate world matters uh, in secret, closed-door, behind-the-scenes type environments.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's pretty clear that He is proud to be part of that. And Bohemian Grove is an extremely secret um, society. And another thing that tells a little bit more about what these guys uh, believe in, what their understanding is, is at the start of one of the interviews with Klaus Schwab, he references a person that he is very fond of. So let's play that and listen to that.
6: Let me go back to the time you said when you came here, it transformed your life. Was there a course, a professor, who really made that difference for you?
4: Yes, uh, there was um, one course, one seminar of um, Henry Kissinger, um, which really opened my eyes. I wasn't accepted to the seminar, but I sat in, I think he let me in because I was German, And it was relatively shortly after the war, there were not too many Germans here.
0: Now, I don't know if you noticed, they say things very coded and very kind of understated. But he said, I think he let me in because I'm German. Now, we've talked about this before. Bloodlines are very important. Connections, family connections, all these are extremely important things to them. So I just wanted to point that out.
4: And uh, this created a friendship which has um, uh, endured until today. And, uh, you know, uh, Henry has been several times in in Davos. Um, And I think it was mainly uh, participating in his seminars that I developed my interest for geopolitical affairs.
1: Mm -hmm. We started this podcast talking about how the Freedom Convoy, Trudeau, and all of these issues is going to come back to be about worship. And while the pieces are not, we're not attributing anything specifically prophetic per se to uh, the events that are happening right now, but more to show that the characteristics for the type of things that we can expect to see coming down the line are are coming into shape. And uh, one of the things that I think is very important in seeing that Klaus Schwab came from somewhere He didn't come up with these ideologies on his own. He was heavily impacted by Henry Kissinger, who wrote a book called World Order. The term New World Order is thrown around a lot, but often they forget where to look for in defining what that means and what that looks like. And when you go into Henry Kissinger's World Order book, you'll find a worldview expressed, a very particular worldview and it's done so in where I think the crossover comes from this being just a social issue and a political issue to a worship-based issue. Now, in framing the world, kind of moving the chess pieces on the chessboard, so to speak, they're seeming to get uh, everybody ready to hate a specific mindset, to be against Uh, that which is stopping everything good from coming together. And why don't we take a look inside Henry Kissinger's book and take a look at a specific quote that he says has kept, last time, kept the world from uniting in such a way.
0: So this is from, like Matt said, from the book World Order by Henry Kissinger. And we're just going to read the last line in this paragraph. It's on page 20. You can do a little bit more reading yourself. But this last line, it says, the Protestant Reformation destroyed the concept of a world order sustained by the two swords of papacy and empire. Christianity was split and at war with itself. So that is very interesting because Protestant Reformation destroyed the concept of world order. So that means that they obviously had a world order concept all the way back in the 1500s which fits perfectly with what we're saying and he even references sustained by the two swords of the papacy that they're connected the Jesuits are connected with this new world order and eventually that is where it is returning to all these things we're seeing now are just little steps moving in that direction and however far they can push that to be getting their not just political agenda but a spiritual agenda, which is actually the the bigger deal here.
1: And when you really look at what makes up the Protestant Reformation here, he says is the Protestant Reformation that destroyed the concept of a world order. Well, what made up the mindset of the Protestant Reformation? It was liberty of conscience, freedom of thought, freedom of religion, freedom of expression, all principles based on the liberty and freedom of the individual
0: that you can go straight to God, that you don't have to go to a priest. All these things that you have freedom to choose and choose to follow or not to follow God.
1: So I want to run us through kind of what we've learned here because I think we're seeing the fingerprints of a specific organization all around this. And when the Jesuit order went about trying to destroy Protestantism, it went around creating educational institutions that got young men and women the best and brightest minds into these institutions to teach him a specific worldview what was the worldview of the counter-reformation that of individual liberty of that of the common good as dictated by the the, the state. common
0: good and that is we hear that everywhere now
1: and that is the agenda of the world economic forum that is the the agenda and the curriculum of the global young global leaders program it is a mindset that is created to destroy protestantism and it's not necessarily as as uh, obvious as destroying protestantism Protestantism by attacking the Bible or Jesus, this is actually destroying the concepts of Protestantism, the principles of liberty of conscience of freedom yeah. of speech and what it's done is it's trained the world leaders to believe this worldview that actually hates Protestantism at its very core based on all these rights and has learned and been trained to think that protestant Values and the basis of which is is individual liberties and faith is actually evil that that 's the thing that 's holding society back, so when people say, "Well, how is this all about worship because we 're seeing that our civil leaders, our world leaders, our private industry people are all being trained in a particular worldview which we see is ultimately not a Klaus Schwab view or even a Henry Kissinger view, it is a counter-reformation, Jesuit papacy view, which is destroy that which is held as a lamb-like principle. Anything that is lamb-like, they want to destroy it. Now, they've dressed it up in a way that makes it look good, but what we're seeing is when they're attacking our rights and individual liberties and making us make decisions and saying when we don't go along with the the rest of the, the public, we're against the common good, these are all attacks against Protestantism, against your ability to eventually choose worship. And uh, it's something I think many people haven't had a chance to see, how the civil organizations in the world are actually used to train leaders in this one specific worldview while simultaneously teaching them that the other way of living is evil, inherently evil.
0: They, their ideology... They create chaos to create their order, Ordo ab cow, and they need to slowly erode our um, firmness to our principle, to our conscience, to our freedom by putting these little steps and then you slowly, well, You know i'll compromise here because of this reason because of that you know this is very painful if i don't comply and all these things going forward and forward and forward and we're not saying to create a revolution that's not our purpose what we're trying to say is you need to see the sequence of events and then you need to be seeing the end goal the end goal what we're talking about is worship revelation 13 that's what it's all about it says those that don't receive the mark of the beast are not allowed to buy or sell and eventually they will want to rid the earth of all those who don't follow their new world order regime that's what the Bible's actually talking about and it's a very serious topic which is why we're trying to show all this evidence the connection of all these things we showed the connection to lucis trust And these are actually satanic organizations fronting for the people under a global pretext, but ending in the worship of Lucifer. And the Bible says that. Jesus talked about it. He said Satan would come representing him, looking like Jesus, and going to compel people to worship against what actually God would have us to worship.
1: And and that seems like, you know, for some people that may seem like a huge stretch from where we are today. Mm -hmm. Uh, But let's watch what happens in the world. The focus of uh, liberty of conscience, compelling people to do things, limiting of free speech, removal of individual rights and liberties in lieu of the common good uh, and, and bringing in that ideology, the end goal is worship there are many now who feel that there are too many things being applied to the sign of the times and that everything is we're trying to make everything prophetic and we're spending too much time on the papacy and not enough time on the the worship issues uh these will end in worship issues and the pieces are being the strings are being pulled now for for those conditions those final pieces to be put in place uh we we know there's no amount of um we know the world ends up essentially one world, uh, and there's only a small remnant left. In order to get the world there, I mean, even look at what's happened during this health crisis. The world is actually more divided than ever, even if it is a smaller group of people. Yeah. It, it's a very divided world. But in the end, the Jew and the Muslim will put their, uh, uh, their differences aside to worship on the same day and join together with... Uh, most of the Christian world to persecute a small remnant group of people. And so while we're advocating, uh, I guess what we're advocating most is to do the most you can in the individual hearts and minds of the people that God puts in your path in your life. It's not always about collectively gathering and demanding our political leaders make change on a societal level, as much as it is drawing nearer to Jesus Christ spending more time like uh, you guys going to Victoria, handing out great controversies, talking about the, the great battle between Christ and Satan and understanding that the last temptation the devil gave Jesus was to show him all the kingdoms of the world and to say, if all you will do, I'll give you all of this that you see here. If all you'll do is bow down and worship me. At first, it looked like the battle was over food. Then it was over his divinity. But in the end, it showed it was about worship. Satan was willing to give the whole world, which in order for him to offer it and for that offer to be enticing enough to take, he had it to give, which tells us one thing right there. But that the last test showed the true character what this is all about. It may be dressed up in many things and we're not making any salvationary comments on personal decisions people have made. Salvation is not made on decisions uh Within this health crisis, it is based on your acceptance or rejection of Jesus as your personal Savior. And so that is what we want to advocate. When you're out and you do see protests going on, if you do feel compelled to join, join because you want to talk to the individuals in there about Jesus Christ. Start a prayer group that's praying for the people that everyone else is protesting and spitting at and hating. That will be a true sign that you're followers of Christ and on the right track to be prepared for what's coming.
0: Yeah, and like we've been referencing um, Revelation 13 quite a lot. And we want to do a whole podcast breaking down that chapter in Revelation because it can be very confusing for some. They don't understand what it's talking about. So we're going to do that. We're going to break it down, explain where we're coming from, and you're going to see how all these little pieces fit together just so perfectly.
1: The Bible has an amazing way of staying uh, more relevant and active now than uh, I have ever seen in my whole life. And uh, I hope it's a living proof for everybody that the reason it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy is it's given us a roadmap to understand the context for all these things that we may go uh, help each other and uh, prepare for Christ's soon coming. Thank you mckenzie for uh, joining today Uh, i look forward to doing a lot more with you by god's grace this year
0: thank you very much and before you go don't forget to like and subscribe and please share these videos so that people can be informed that they can see the truth also go to our facebook page and you can join our telegram to see what we're doing on site at amazing discoveries also go to adtv.watch if you want to be able to see these videos uncensored If they're taken down somewhere, you'll still be able to find them there. And our website, AmazingDiscoveries.org. Thank you.